thanks for watching us, wherever you're watching us from, whatever home you're in. I just pray that your house today, your home today, would be a place where you praise God, where you worship God, where you honor Him, where you give Him glory. Let's stand together if we can. Stand together and give God praise. Our praise becomes your house, your
fight our battles. We praise him. This is how we fight our battles. As we worship him, this is how we fight our battles. We give him glory. We give him glory. We are surrounded by him. Thank you, Lord, for surrounding us with your spirit this morning. We give you praise and we give you glory. And we honor you, God. We love you, Lord. We love you, God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Isn't it good to be back in the house of God? Let me take this off. To be in the manifest presence of God, where he assures us there's fullness of joy. There are pleasures at his right hand. Amen? And he says, I'll show you the pathways of life in my divine presence. We need to stay close to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Can we give him a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, dear God. This is how we fight our battles. We praise him and we read his holy word. From Psalm 46, we're told, God, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth do change, and though the mountains be shaken into the heart of the seas, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains tremble with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her, and that right early. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Jehovah of hosts is with us. Hallelujah. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of Jehovah. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. Let me go to verse 10. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Jehovah of hosts is with us. Hallelujah. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Praise God. Selah. Aren't you glad that God's got our back? Hallelujah. Thank you to the God of Jehovah, the God of gods. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Let us go before the Lord, brothers and sisters, and let us pray to our wonderful God. He says we can come boldly before his throne of grace where we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And this is a time of need. Amen. Thank you, dear God. Just thank you, dear God. Thank you, dear God, for bringing us through the storm. Thank you, dear God, that you're watching over us at all times, keeping us safe from all hurt harm and danger. Lord, we take it not for granted. We need your divine protection. We need you to do what you promised in your word, to cover us with your feathers so that under your wings we can trust. We thank you, dear God, for the precious gift of life that you've blessed us all with today. Lord, you say only the dead don't praise the Lord. And we're just alive today with praise and thanksgiving. And we just want to exalt your holy name. 
We want to give you homage, O oh God. We bow before you in thought, word, and, dear, and spirit. We bow before you in praise and in prayer. And Lord, we just are so happy to be here today to exalt your holy name. Not only here in the sanctuary, but at home. The people are watching you over their little devices. They're all here together in spirit, Lord. And you said when brethren gather together in unity, there you command a blessing upon them. And even life forevermore. We thank you for the life. We thank you for the blessing. Father, we ask that you bless every church member that we have here and at home, wherever they may be. Lord, bless all of Christendom. Help us, dear God. Let us feel your presence and that joy that you promise, the strength that comes from your joy. Lord, we ask that you will bless today's message and bless our pastor. And Lord, let me end with these words. Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of my heart, our heart, may they be acceptable in thy sight, dear God. We thank you for being our strength. We thank you for being our redeemer. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, CTC family, I'm Jill, and here's this week's news. Our CTC Kids Backyard Media Pal is off to a great start. Wednesday night was our first night of small group gatherings with 54 kids in attendance at seven host family locations. A big thanks to all those who are working hard to make this ministry a success. If you haven't signed up for the group yet, there is still time. Just contact our Kids Ministry Director, Tony Rayfield, to find out how. On Monday, August 3rd, we begin our new office schedule. The church office will now be closed on Mondays and open Tuesday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. For more information on these and other events, visit our website at ctcde.net or go to our Facebook page. If you need prayer, you can call the church office at 302-836-2862 or text us at 888-344-1022. You can also send an email to prayer at ctcde.net. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. God bless you and have a great week. God is at work through the Congo Partnership in the Central Congo Episcopal Area where Bishop Daniel Lunge is the resident bishop. Through your generosity, the partnership sponsors projects like the Impossum Medical Center, providing medical care in a major refugee area of over 4 million people. A nutrition program saves the lives of children daily, and about three kilometers away is a second nutrition center called Miriam's Table. Our agriculture projects emphasize self-sustainability, teaching people to grow nutritional food, using animal traction, and helping them feed their own children. You've helped the partnership save lives by digging 17 freshwater wells in a remote province where 1.85 million people live who had no fresh water. Our children's ministry is in the village of Wambayama, where Methodism began over 100 years ago. Until 2013, there were no children's Christian education programs. So the partnership trained Congolese volunteers and then launched the children's ministry that now has over 60 groups and over 5,000 children every month. They love to sing praises to the Lord and are even learning some English. (laughs) 
Mamatola Secondary School is now a partnership project, but was started in the 1950s by Lorena Kelly, a former and now deceased Global Ministries missionary. The young people love to sing their welcome and to tell that Mamatola is a place where they learn and to grow in their faith. Formerly a boarding school for girls, Mamatola now has 285 students, both boys and girls, where they learn academic subjects and life skills like sewing. This past year, 100% of the students passed their federal test. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus for the people of Congo. Amen and welcome and good morning. Great to see all of you here in the room this morning and great to have you joining us online. I wanted to show you that video of, of part of our own ministries in uh, in Africa, and because of your generosity, we're able to participate in those ministries that are happening over there. We've just uh, given a contribution to those ministries, and so I want to say thank you for continuing to give faithfully and generously to the work of God around the world. This is an amazing time uh, in our world, and our ministry has never before been so um, quickly spread around the world, and it's important for us. I want to remind you of the ways that we can give today. Continue that generosity. It is a statement of our own faith to be able to say to God, Lord, I'm giving this to you because I trust in you. So when we give and we give generously, that's the attitude that God wants us to give, to give gratefully, to give trustingly, and to give generously. So we can give online, and you're certainly able to do that, whether you're in the room or online. And if you're here on one of our campuses, you can give by filling out one of the prayer cards or prayer envelopes that we have and place an offering inside it. Prayer envelopes are on the table as you came in the, in the building uh, at the entrance, and there are baskets out there. So before you leave, pick up one of those things, make your contribution, write down your prayer requests. And if you're online, we want you to write down your prayer requests by going to the Connect card uh, that is on our website and just filling that out, uh, letting us know that you're here, as well as letting us know how can we pray for you. It's one of the ways we can stay in touch. It is, I don't think it's ever been more important for us to be intentional about the ways we reach out and ask people to pray for us. We have to connect with others, and uh, we've got to do that in this time when we are isolated from each other. It is so important for us to stay connected together. So help us uh, pray for you by doing that. Let me invite you, if you're here in the room, to stand up and, and continue to worship. Remember, today is Communion Sunday, so if you're at home, we want you to go get some bread and some grape juice or some wine or whatever you've got. At the end of the service, the message will be celebrating communion, and I'll lead you in that. Let's sing together as we worship.
From the well that never runs dry. The water that is Jesus Christ, who is our living water. So we thank you, Lord, for being our bread of life and our living water. And we look to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to live in resurrection power. Thank you, Father, for your great mercy. Your great mercy, we're born again. 
Thank you, Father God, for giving us the privilege, the right to sit at your feet, to worship before your throne on this day that we celebrate and commemorate the sacrifices that Christ made on the cross after you, Father God, raised him from the dead. And because you raised him from the dead, we have a great expectation of a priceless inheritance. We are your chosen people, Father God, so we thank you for resurrection power. We thank you, Father God, for sending our pastor shepherd as he prepares to decrease in the spirit of the living God, increase in this house, Father. We expect to hear a word from you today, Father. We expect that you will pour down blessings from heaven so rich that they will overflow and we cannot receive them because that's what your word says that you would do. So, Father God, bless our pastor. Bless the hearers of this word. Let us leave from this place being your eyes, your hands, your feet. Let the words that come from our mouths be acceptable in your sight and may they bless someone else may they have the power to convict to save because father you said if we lift you up that you would draw all men unto you so today we lift you up lord we thank you father god and we ask that you open our ears and let the scales fall away from our eyes as you pour your word into our spirit in jesus name we pray Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Fran, for that prayer. Powerful prayer. We're going to jump right to our scripture this morning from Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 12 through 29. I'm going to be reading out of a paraphrase of the Bible, the paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson called The Message. And if you're able to go to the YouVersion app, uh, it's there. We'll have it here on the screens. If you're following on on a a translation Bible like the NIV or even the New Living Translation, the difference between a paraphrase and a translation can sometimes be pretty pretty strong. And uh, so... Uh, It might be easier for you to just listen or follow along on the YouVersion app or watch the screen. But this is Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 29. This is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is kind of wrapping things up. Isn't it nice to start a sermon at the end of a sermon? (laughs) So Jesus says, here's a simple rule of thumb, a guide for behavior. Jesus says, ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do that for them. Add up all of God's law and the prophet's teachings and this is what you get. Let me say that again. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then take the initiative and do it for them. Probably in our more modern translations, or we, 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 we hear that phrase more often said like this. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. But Eugene Peterson puts it in this way. Ask yourselves what you want people to do for you and then take the initiative to do it for them. 
Great teaching. That's what Jesus said. It sums up all the law and the prophets of God. Then Jesus says, do not look for shortcuts. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, the way to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot. I have a good smile. Thank you, God, for giving me a good smile. Thank you, God, for dental insurance that helps me take care of it. Jesus said, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, don't be impressed with charisma. Look instead for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit you, your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. He says, knowing the correct password, saying master, master in this translation, in this paraphrase, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. What is it that God wills? For you in your life. He says, I can see it now with the final judgment. Thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed down the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important and you don't impress me one bit you're out of here these words i speak to you are not incidental additions to your life homeowner improvements to your standard of living these are foundational words to build a life on And if you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who builds his house on solid rock. When the rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in, the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Now when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. Let me hear it. The crowd burst into, into applause. They had never heard such teaching like this. It was apparent that Jesus was living everything he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. This is the best teaching they had ever heard. May God add his blessing to the reading as well as the hearing of his holy word. So this is how Jesus ended his sermon on the mount. In which he drives home the point 
with almost, I think, frightening statements that we think we may understand. But do we really? They may still leave us wondering, Jesus, what are you talking about? How then can anybody enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus summarizes his sermon on the, this sermon with this teaching from verse 12. Do unto others as you would others do unto you. That's simple enough. And we all have probably heard that multiple times throughout our life. And we say, oh, that's a beautiful teaching. How many of us have let that sink into our hearts so that we don't even have to think about it to be reminded to do it? But instead of just being a saying and being a directive, it comes from our heart. And everything that we do is about doing for others as we would others do for us. That's Jesus' summary in this. We've heard it so many times that it's no longer a new idea. And we hear it and we say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. So I wonder if we've become numb to the power of God's Word. Do unto others as you would others do unto you. Ask yourself, what do I want others to do for me? And then take the initiative and do that for others even before they ask. What an amazing thing. And that that sinks into our lives. And we don't even have to think about it. We just do it because it's in our heart. Then Jesus talks about taking the easy way to the kingdom of God, taking shortcuts to the kingdom of God. Shortcuts. A cook can tell the difference. Actually, I think any person who has any kind of developed taste buds, as they talk about on the cooking shows today, (laughs) can tell the difference between a stew that has been simmered for hours Lovingly prepared by grandma or somebody. I once met a, a, a woman who married into a Greek family. And she, she told me about her mother-in-law who would spend all day cooking the sauce. And as the mother-in-law was cooking that sauce, this, the, the, this daughter-in-law was telling me, I don't know what she was doing, but I think she was spitting into the sauce. Because as she was cooking, she was going over it. Whispering some kind of thing. And I don't know what she was doing. But her sauce was amazing. <laughs> and she could tell the difference. I had a, I had a uh, in one of my churches, we were uh, next door, our next door neighbors were Italian. And I had, I, I'm not Italian and I'm not a great sauce cook, but I had made some gnocchi and some sauce to go on it, and the neighbor was over, and she saw that I was cooking gnocchi, and she said, I love gnocchi! Can I taste it? I said, well, yeah, I was kind of nervous about her to taste it, because I knew that they had good food in their house. She took a bite of it, put the spoon down, and went back to her house. (laughs) I was a little bit embarrassed. We can tell when people take shortcuts We can tell a stew that's been simmered for hours and a stew that has been whipped together in ten minutes, steaming your vegetables in the microwave, getting the the pre-cooked frozen beef strips out of the freezer, putting it in a pot, pouring water into it and a couple of bouillon cubes. It's just not going to taste the same because you've taken 
shortcuts. And it's probably not going to be as nutritious or healthy for your body. We know what shortcuts do. Cheating in school is a shortcut. It's a shortcut that never pays off. Cheating in school is really stealing somebody else's work and you taking credit for it. That's theft. Sports is another place where cheating and shortcuts are often tried and discovered. And amateur and professional athletes get caught up in the pressure of competing. So they use both natural and synthetic substances to enhance their performance. They cheat. Shortcuts may save some time sometimes, but there are no shortcuts to living a full and abundant life with God. So Jesus explains the way to life. And the only way to life is through God because God is the giver of all life. You can't have full life without God. And there are many people who think they can and they're having a good and a joyful life and they think God is not part of it. They're wrong because God is always here and they wouldn't even have life without God. Jesus says the way to life to God is vigorous and requires your full attention. You can't nonchalantly get your way to life. Oh, there's, oh yeah, there's, there's a cross there. There's God over there. Yeah, I see it. I'll take this shortcut. Jesus spoke words that should make us think seriously about our relationship with God. Not just our relationship, well, which is our life. Because God created you to live with Him. And you don't have life. Without God. Jesus said, knowing the secret password, saying, teacher, teacher, for, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing my Father's will. And I said it earlier, what is God's will? I can see it now. He says at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me saying, Teacher, we preached your message. We, we put down the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say, Jesus says? You missed the boat. You did all these things, but you're still missing the boat. And all you did was to use me to make yourself important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Jesus doesn't always say kind and pleasant things. <laughs> I chuckle as the evil villain. That was <laughs> not sure that communicated what I wanted it to communicate. Maybe it was a nervous laugh because these are harsh words. And I know that Jesus is saying to me, Roger, don't use me by just saying the words. Okay, Jesus, you got my attention now. It's a frightening passage. Jesus even said once, you will do even greater things than I do. And yet he also says, even if we do greater things than he does, he can still say to us, I don't know who you are. 
What is it, Jesus, that is the Father's will that brings us to that eternal and satisfying relationship with Him? Don't miss the boat. Don't just get the right password. There's something more. I want to tell you about a woman named Mrs. Bouquet. She comes to a fictitious character, but she comes from a television show called Keeping Up Appearances. It's a British comedy show that airs in the United States on our public broadcasting networks. Mrs. Bouquet. Hyacinth Bouquet. Sounds like a beautiful name. She was embarrassed when she married her husband to take on his name, Bouquet. That doesn't sound like a horrible name. And with a name like Hyacinth, she probably designed all her life to marry somebody who would have a last name that made her first name sound beautiful. Hyacinth Bouquet. That's who I am. (laughs) But let me tell you how you spell Bouquet. B-U-C-K-E-T. Now, if you're any good at English, you know that that spells bucket. So Hyacinth, I don't know what her maiden name was, married Richard Bucket. I cannot be called Hyacinth Bucket. It's Bouquet. She's a proper English woman who wants nothing more in life than to be part of England's elite aristocracy so that she can be included as those people who mingle with the best, the brightest, the most important, and the most affluent people in the world. She wants to be royalty. And she desires to be included in that prestigious group so badly that she lives her entire life as if she's already there, saying the right things, having the right China, living in the right neighborhood. But the problem is, she's a woman of only middle class means. And none of all that pretense is real. And her husband, who has a good job and provides very well for her, He patiently goes along with all of her schemes of pretending. Her schemes to prove to everyone that she is at least next to royalty in her station of life. And her escapades are chronicled in this television show called Keeping Up Appearances because that's exactly what she's doing for her entire life, just keeping up the appearance of being important. In one of the episodes, she and her husband take a vacation on a cruise. On a cruise ship, not just on any ship, but on the Queen Elizabeth II. So she is convinced that once the captain meets her, Hyacinth Bouquet, she will certainly, he will certainly invite her to the captain's table for every meal. Captain doesn't even know she's booked on the ship. But on the way to the ship's port, Mrs. Bouquet notices that according to the map, Richard is going the wrong direction. And so she commands her husband to take this shortcut which she sees on the map. So they take the shortcut. But without realizing it, Mrs. Bouquet has been holding the map upside down. And they end up driving through narrow farm, country farm lanes down that are crowded with sheep and cattle. 
And as they have to turn around in the pasture, they get stuck in a mud puddle. And since Richard is the driver, he's, he's, he's driving the car. So Mrs. Bucket has to get out and push. And finally, the, those wheels take traction and pull away from Mrs. Bucket. And she just goes right into the mud. Of course, she was dressed to meet the captain with her beautiful hat. Realizing the error, they do correct their course and finally arrive at the port. But guess what? The ship has already boarded and had just pulled away. Mrs. Bucket runs to the edge. Where's the camera? Runs. There it is. Runs to the edge. And she looks at the ship and she shouts, Stop the ship! Of course, she's powerless. They can't even hear her. The captain doesn't even see her. She finds a telephone and she calls the ship, demanding to speak to the captain. And the captain's first mate answers the phone up, into, up in the brig. And he listens very carefully to Mrs. Look at me. How old am I? <laughs> Holding up my phone like this. Here we go. He listens. He, he listens to her. He listens to her appeal and plea that the boat must turn, must stop and turn around, return to port and pick me up. Passionately saying and explaining, surely the captain will want to dine with such an important passenger as me. <laughs> The captain's first mate says that the captain, excuse me, madam, but the captain cannot stop the boat. Well, Mrs. Bucket is aghast, and she shouts back, if the captain is unable to stop this ship, why was he ever given the responsibility to navigate a vessel of such great proportions to begin with? <laughs> it's like if you, can't drive your, if you can't stop your car, why do you ever get into the driver's seat? Finally, the mate suggests that Mrs. Bucket meet the ship at, her, at their first stop in Copenhagen. And with a bit of embarrassment and a little bit of humility, because she doesn't want to admit this, but she explains to the man, Now listen very carefully, my good man. As important as I am in local circles, I have not yet risen to the level where I can walk on water. <laughs> I love that line. She figures out that she's going to have to take an airplane. So they catch a plane to Copenhagen, and they board the QE2. However, in the end, Hyacinth Bucket, Bouquet, is never invited to the captain's table. But what's even worse is that she enters into the dining room one evening, and she sees her very own sister and husband, whose names are Daisy and Onslow. And they have always been an embarrassment to Mrs. Bucket because they have lived low status, lazy, and immoral lives. But Onslow and Daisy had entered a contest and they had won an all-expense-paid trip on this same ship. And they were sitting at the captain's table in Hyacinth's seat. <gasps> And they're being honored by giving the first dance after dinner. Hyacinth can't believe it. Poor Mrs. Bucket. She has an inflated sense of self-worth and thinks 
that by simply pretending to act like aristocracy, pretending to act important, she can become so. She illustrates that what Jesus is saying at the end of his Sermon on the Mount says, you can't pretend to know God. You can't take shortcuts to God. You can't say, you can say that you know God all you want. You can say, I know God. I did this. I did that. I went here. I went there. I said this prayer. I said these words. But you can stand before God in the judgment and God can, Jesus will look at you and say, you might have done all those things, but I do not know who you are away from me. So let's look. At Jesus' words, one who calls Lord, Lord, or teacher, teacher, or master, master, or leader, leader, whatever. Some people think that just by saying the right words or praying the right prayer or even telling others of Jesus' amazing works, that will get you the ticket, the password to enter into the kingdom of God. And you can recite all the prayers in the world and you can still miss the boat of God's plan and purpose for your life. Jesus will say, I do not know you. We can talk about all the good and amazing things that Jesus did and tell others about them. We can describe the glories of heaven. We can tell about Noah and the ark and David and Goliath and rebuilding of God's very temple in Jerusalem. But when we are face to face to God, he can still say to us, I don't know you. Some people think that just doing no harm I, I went through my life. I didn't bother anybody. I just lived my life. I didn't, I didn't do any evil thing. I didn't sin. I avoided all kinds of wickedness. I lived the straight and the narrow life. We may avoid every kind of prohibition that God makes. I never got angry. I never looked lustfully upon another person. I never got jealous. I never judged others before we think Because we've never done those things, I think we deserve to be in God's presence. And God can say, okay, I'm glad you did all those things. But I don't know who you are. People may be convinced that if they do enough of the right good deeds, it's not just about avoiding the wrong deeds. I did the good deeds. Because I did that, I will enter God's presence on that day of judgment. We may even come to church often. We may even come to church on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) And listen to the most and the best sermons ever delivered. But still call upon the name of the Lord Jesus on that day of judgment and stand in front of Him and He can say, I don't know you. What's the difference? Those are all things that describe living life like you've built a house on sand. Jesus illustrated that later in his parable. A life built on sand will not stand against the testing of Jesus and the question of does Jesus know me? However, on the other hand, a wise person builds his house on solid ground. What does that look like when it comes to our faith? A faith that is built on solid foundation is a faith that is a matter of the heart. Not just outward behaviors. It's a matter of the heart. The good deeds, the right words, the actions of doing what is good, 
are not the things that bring us to this place of acceptance with God. It is our heart that brings us to the place. And we can do all these things, and if they don't bring us to a heart faith, they're not leading us to Jesus. So let's look at a heart, at a, at a faith that is a matter of heart, not just words. A matter of a, a faith that is a matter of heart that does not miss the boat. A faith that is a matter of heart is one that takes to heart that Jesus is the one. He died on the cross to forgive even my sins. That he rose from the grave in order that I, myself, might have new life that starts right now and lasts forever. Jesus lives in those who trust in him. Jesus gives them power of life that breaks the power of sin and gives us the power to live a life of holiness and godliness. For God said, be holy as I am holy. That must be a matter of the heart because there are never enough actions that can make me holy as God is holy. It is a matter of the heart through my trust in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 5, 11 says, Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised with Him in His life. And if we are not united with Jesus in His death, we will not be raised to Him in life. You know what that means? That means you have got to die to yourself just as Jesus died to Himself. And in dying to ourselves, Jesus sees our very vulnerable position. We no longer have life. And Jesus sees that and we say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to give me life. And I cannot have life except that I am united with you. Help me, Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus comes to us and he wraps his arms around us and he grabs us. Like no one else can grab us. And, and, if, and as Jesus went through that darkness of death, we also go with him. But we don't stay there because Jesus hangs on to us and he pulls us through death to life. Paul continues in Romans 6. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Through Jesus, you have the power to sin no more. And Jesus expects us to be holy, which is a life without sin. We can't do that except with Jesus. We are no longer slaves to sin, Paul says. For when he died, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know, hear that? We know we will live also with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer holds any power over him. And when he died, he died to break the power of sin, but he now lives. He lives for the glory of God. So now you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. 
A faith that is a matter of the heart is a faith lived, is a life lived in God and God in you through Jesus. Colossians 1.27 says, God has given me the responsibility, speaking of Paul, the Apostle Paul, of serving you in his church by his, by proclaiming his entire message to you, not just the easy parts, but the difficult parts. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for all people, Jews and Gentiles too. Because in Paul's day, there were only two kinds of people. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. So I can say, for all people. And this is the secret, he says, Christ lives in you. The hope of glory. This gives you assurance of sharing in Jesus' glory. A faith that is a matter of the heart is one in which you live as an inhabitant. You live as a dweller. You live as a child of eternity along with millions of other people around the world who also share in Christ living in them and they in Christ. John chapter 1 verses 10 through 13 says he came to the very world that he created. Speaking of Jesus. But the world, he di- the world didn't recognize him. He came to his very own people and they even rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. In God is your home. And they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. A faith that is a matter of the heart is entered into only by the washing and the cleansing of power of the blood of Jesus. First John chapter one, verse seven says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. A faith that is a matter of the heart lives convinced and filled with hope that we will be with Jesus for eternity. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ. Jesus is standing at the door ready to grasp your hand and usher you right to the table of our Lord in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These are marks of a house built on solid rock. Be not content with merely a good life, for you will not have eternal life. Desire only life with Jesus Christ through faith. Trust in His gift of forgiveness and new life through the Holy Spirit. Mrs. Bucket pretended in every way she could, that she was someone that she was not. Too many people are simply pretending that we're good enough to enter God's kingdom. God will not be fooled. 
Our faith in Jesus must be a faith of the heart in everything that we do. Otherwise, all these good things, calling out to the captain, Oh, captain, oh, captain, I shall sit at your table. Look how important I am. The captain turns and says, Who are you? Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Know Jesus by inviting him into your heart, your life. As you see, trust and obey all Jesus says and does. Don't miss the boat. What shall you do? Are you confident that your actions flow from your own desire to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus for all you do? Are you trying to puff yourself up and make yourself look good in this life, hoping that I'm not sure about the next life? Let me tell you, it's real. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit and the awareness that your sins are forgiven and there is not one sin that hangs over your head? Are you sure that if you meet Jesus in the next moment, He will know who you are? You may want to take some next steps. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. And as you come to receive this communion, this sacrament that we remember Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection is what it's all about. You may come to the platform here if you're in the room, if you desire. And here in the room, we have the little little communion cups individually wrapped, sanitized. If there's not enough at your table, please go to a chair next to you or another table and pick one up so that at your table you have enough for each person. And if you're at home, please go and get some juice or some wine, some bread, whatever. And I will offer a blessing and ask God's blessing to come upon you and these gifts that you have presented before the Lord. Let's take some time to consider these questions in our own relationship with Jesus Christ as we continue to pray and receive this sacrament. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given yourself to us. Lord, I know these are are frightening words. How do I know that my sins are forgiven? How do I know that when I knock on that door, that after death has come to me in this life, and I stand before you, how do I know that you'll look at me and say with a smile, I know you. I want this faith to be a matter of my heart, not just my deeds, not just my actions. I want to be there with you, Jesus. I don't want to be cast away, eternally separated from you. I don't know what that looks Well, the Bible tells us what that looks like. It's not pleasant. But I know, God, that I was created to be with you forever. And that life is eternal. Something in me is telling me that, God. So, Jesus, I may not be convinced of everything, but I'm willing to take a chance to 
trust in you. So Jesus, I confess my sins. I confess my need for you. And I trust, Jesus, that you're the way. Come into my heart, Jesus. Forgive my sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving even my sins. Becoming present in my life. Come, Jesus, and live with me. Show me. We remember that night when you were betrayed. You took the bread. You gave thanks to God. You broke the bread. And you gave it to your disciples and said, This is my body. I am giving my life for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus took the cup, He gave thanks to you. He gave it to His disciples and He said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Jesus, we gather this morning remembering you. These little cups that we've got on our table and the cups that are uh, and the, 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 the cups and the bread that are in our homes, Jesus, we ask your Holy Spirit to come down now wherever your people are gathered and bless them. Become for them the body and the blood of Jesus, cleansing our sins from us. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. And Holy Spirit, come and live in my life. Come and live in the lives of the people who are willing to trust in you. Make them pure and holy. Teach them, guide them, strengthen them, break the power of sin in their life and give them the power of life that overcomes. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. As we serve communion here, you're welcome to, to open the packages of, of bread and the wafer here at the table. Or if you're at home, while we sing this song, go ahead and uh, serve communion in your homes. But remember the, to pray and listen to God as we pray together. We're going to sing. The team's going to lead us in a song. But I want to encourage you that if you prayed a prayer similar to what I just prayed a few minutes ago and you accepted Christ or you dedicated your life, I want you to go to the Connect card and fill out one of those cards and just tell me something about what you prayed. That you invited Christ or you rededicated your life to Christ. I'd love to pray with you and have some conversation with you. You can text me. You can email me. You can fill out the Connect card and we can do that. Let's continue to celebrate. I invite you here, if you're here in the room, to if we can stand together and continue to sing as the team leads us. If you would like to receive the bread that I have here, I've got both gluten-free and uh, gluten-infested bread. <laughs> that, was, that, didn't, that didn't sound good. Regular bread. Anyway, let's worship God as we, as we continue to pray. If you'd like to come here, kneel and pray. I invite you to do so. Let's stand together as we sing.
Jesus, thank you. We're living for you, Jesus. Thank you for the freedom that you give to us, breaking the power of sin in our lives, giving us the power of life. So, God, as we go forth from here, we go forth to live. We live in the name of Jesus, and we we thank you, Father, for loving us. We look forward to that day when we meet with you and you embrace us. But, Jesus, let us not wait for that day to experience you. Holy Spirit, come and wrap your arms around us even now as we go to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here with us today. Thank you. As you go forth, go in the grace and the love and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.